And uh, happy family day to you. And how is your family day? Uh, the uh, other part of the family is out walking right now. Oh, I see. You still haven't uh, gotten the addition to the dog family. No, no, we're in line. The problem is that the breed that we have chosen has very small litters, and we're very particular about the color and sex of uh, the new puppy. So we're waiting for an all-white female miniature bull terrier. And uh, we've gone through a couple of litters, and there hasn't been one there for us. I don't know. That sounds very eugenics of you. Well, it does, but welcome to the world of dog breeding. It's okay. So, like, if it was a 99.9% white dog, but there was a little patch of black on its schnoz, you'd turn it down? No, 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 no. That's not it. There are two types of bull terriers. There are colored bull terriers and white bull terriers. Colored bull terriers are mostly black and brown and maybe with a few patches of white. The white bull terriers are allowed to have a couple of patches of color, but for the most part, they are, are completely white. So I'm just telling you, I mean, this, all, all three of our dogs have been, have been white, and we, want, we like, like the white ones. <laughs> you want a set. Well, we want a set, but the other reason is, is that, that these dogs have um, very unique facial expressions, and they are more apparent when the face is white. All right, if you say so. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, oh, oh, you haven't started recording? No, you forgot to do the uh, disclaimer. Uh, we've forgotten so many times I've gotten uh, Andrea to do the disclaimer now. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> Just as well. All right. One moment, please. Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Here comes the iCar. We'll round up the rumors after the real world Tony Stark is seen leaving one infinite loop. In a Tesla. We're less than a year away from Back to the Future 2 and still no hoverboard, but the shoes are coming. More isolated vocal fun. We'll strip away the instruments on Ziggy Stardust to reveal David Bowie's pre autotune glory. Renaissance butt music. How a university student brought a 500 year old painting to life. Plus the big GB giveaway. We'll tell you how to win a high end Sony camcorder. And Canadian Radio's real life WKRP in Cincinnati characters. The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Let's talk about Apple and Tesla. I like this idea. I like this idea a lot as well. Apple's got about $100 billion bucks worth of cash. $167 billion. Well, they've been pulling a little bit of that cash out of foreign bank accounts. Well, actually, local bank accounts, because if they pull it out of foreign bank accounts and bring it back to the United States, they get a huge tax hit. Yeah. And they've been buying back a lot of stock, courtesy of uh, what in the 80s we would refer to as a corporate raider. And uh, now we just call them activist investors. Yeah, Carl Icahn. And so uh, Mr. Big Shot has uh, managed to finagle Tim Cook, uh, who actually, he, he's not opposed to this sort of thing. He just doesn't want to spend all $100 billion buying back his shares. So the question becomes, what do you do with that kind of walking around money? And uh, we had Elon Musk, the real world Tony Stark, seen leaving a meeting with Apple. Yeah. And the director of the chief of Apple's mergers and acquisitions department 
was the guy he was meeting with. This is interesting. I mean, Tesla is is an interesting company. They make some pretty good cars. Actually, they only have the one car right now. No, they have two. They've, they've got the Roadster and they've got the Model S. Don't make the Roadster anymore. It's just the Model S. Oh, really? Yes. So, so there's going to be a successor to the Roadster and there's going to be an SUV shortly. Uh, but right now, the, the only car that they sell is, is, is the Model S. Um, and that's because, you know, they're having trouble scaling with investment and all the rest of it. And they've got their battery problems and all that. But, uh, you know, Apple is all about disruption, right? And they're looking for a new product category. In fact, the market is, is all about, is all over Apple saying you got to move away from, you know, iPods and iPhones and iPads and computers. You, you need to find something something new. So we've been talking about the, the Apple iWatch. We've been talking about this new Apple TV that's apparently coming, not with a screen necessarily, but the new little box. And we're talking about iOS in the car. One of the things that somebody suggested, oh, God, uh, two years ago, was this whole idea of an iCar. And it was like, oh, yeah, that'd be fun. I mean, Apple, I'm sure, would buy the, you know, would, would build their own car. But no, maybe they just buy into it. See, I can see them moving into iWatches and bigger screen TVs and all of that kind of stuff. It seems like such a remarkable leap to get into vehicles, even though Steve Jobs, two years before his death, started to investigate that, which led to that rumor that you're talking about. Yeah. But the thing, too, is that... There is two parts to this rumor. One, that he met with a head of mergers and acquisitions, which could only mean one thing, a merger or acquisition. But the other part of it is maybe Apple's got some big plans down the road for something that requires better batteries than the batteries that they're currently using. And maybe Elon Musk and the folks over at Tesla have been doing enough research into this over the past few years that maybe there'll be an opportunity for them to work together or license or buy a technology associated with that. I find that unlikely that the head of mergers and acquisitions would be involved in that. But um, it is a neat idea that Tesla could be bought by Apple and we could get, in fact, an iCar. I really like from the nerd side of it. I don't know if I like it from the business geek side of it. Yeah, I'm just looking at the market cap of Tesla as of Friday was $24.3 million. Right. So they could buy them four times over. Oh, yeah, easily. Now, there is never a purchased at the going rate in a merger or acquisition. It's always with a premium. So in this world, the premium would be anywhere from 15 to 30%, which is still chump change to Apple. Yeah, so Tesla's trading at 198 uh, 20 to 30% to 225, 235 a share. Yeah, well, again, they still could do it. You're right. I like it. I mean, I, you know, Tesla vehicles, you know, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by hybrid cars and by the new electric cars. I, I've, uh, I took a Fisker out for a drive once. I said pardon? The Fisker. Fisker Karma. Yes, it's the all uh, electric car. No, it's not all. It's a hybrid. It's a, it's a weird hybrid. It, it's, well, they're out of business now, aren't they? They're gone. They're gone. But uh, they, they, it, was, it was a weird hybrid. There, also, there was also a gasoline engine in it that, that kicked in when your battery ran down. Uh, and I really liked the Fisker a lot. I've, I haven't taken a, a Tesla out, but I've seen so many of them um, around Toronto. And I saw a whole bunch of them when I was in L.A. most recently. One of them recently caught fire in Toronto. Electric car maker Tesla Motors, Inc. said it has not yet determined how a Model S sedan parked in its owner's garage in Toronto caught fire this month. The fire comes a month after Tesla revamped the software and the wall adapters used to charge the batteries in its cars, following a November garage fire involving a Model S in Irvine. The Model S involved in the Toronto fire was not being charged, according to a news report. 
Tesla said it has definitively determined that the Toronto fire did not originate in the battery, the charging system, the adapter, or the electrical receptacle, noting that these components were untouched by the fire. Now, the thing is about this, and this is where the, the, uh, the stock jocks go crazy, is they're all afraid that they're catching fire because it's defective battery technology. But every single fire that's been associated with the Tesla has not been tied uh, to the battery system. It's been tied to other things. Mm, okay. Well, I again, we both like it. I hope it happens. You know what? Forget buying a Tesla Model 6. Maybe you should just buy a Dodge Dart. Why? Oh, okay. Here's what we're going to do. Now we're going to make the segue. That's very good of you. Thank you. Canadian International Auto Show is on in Toronto right now. There is a lot of talk, once again, about connected cars. And one of the stories that came up as a result of the uh, auto show in, in Toronto was a report from Connected World magazine. I've never heard of it. But they they recently named the six best connected cars. So what they did was they analyzed all these uh, different software and hardware combinations and and dashboards. And they say that um, the best small car is uh, the Dodge Dart, which uses the Uconnect system from Chrysler, which I have used, which I I quite like. There are a couple of things that uh, are a bit clunky about it, and it doesn't do one or two other things. I I rented a, a Dodge Journey. Last time I was visiting my folks in Winnipeg and it had the Connect system. And I, I really quite liked it. Ooh, they're now available in the Fiat 500 as well. Really? Yes. I'm just on the uh, driveuconnect.com webpage. Oh, okay. So it's got a touch screen. Uh, does AM, FM, the USB, SD card, iPod, mobile device integration, Bluetooth, hands-free, voice command, sensor assist, speed adjust volume. Mm-hmm. Speed adjusted volume. Does that mean that if the car accelerates, the volume goes up so that you can still hear the car? I, still hear the stereo? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, that's been around for quite some time. I had never heard of that. No, it, it's actually really good because, uh, you know, if, there's, if you're in a car with a lot of road noise, you can actually set it as to how loud you want it to be versus the acceleration of the car. And uh, so if you're in a noisy car, you can set it to high, and, and it works really well. There are apps like Pandora, Aha by Harman. I don't know what that is. That's another connected car thing that uh, Harman Kardon, the uh, stereo manufacturer, is working on. Uh, iHeartRadio and Slacker Radio. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't seem to be particularly impressive as far as the connection system goes. Like I, I want a little bit more than that. Well, it works well. It's it's intuitive. Ah, okay. You know, once you start using the touchscreen, it, it, it works um, reasonably well. Uh, certainly better than what I have in my car. And I have a very expensive car. And uh, I, so I like this. The The midsize, uh, Infiniti Q50 has the Infiniti InTouch. That's the best connected car in the midsize category. Uh, BMW's 5 Series has their connected drive, which I really like as well, especially when it comes to iOS integration. And that was the winner in the luxury segment. The ultra luxury segment was Mercedes-Benz. I guess it was this would be the S-Class. And they have something called um, Embrace 2, which I saw the last iteration of, and I wasn't that impressed with it. Uh, the best green car is uh, the uh, the Tesla, the, the the Model S, Model 6. Um the whole thing is, I mean, the whole car. You know, you can actually, when your car won't start, you call Tesla and they reboot your car from afar. <laughs> now, th- that concerns me. I'm not worried about car fires, but uh, if I recall correctly, Tesla also, or one of the other auto manufacturers, had a recall uh, on their electric car. And you had to bring it into the shop to get a software upgrade. This is the 21st century. Why can't I do the software upgrade myself? Like, shouldn't there be a USB port on the back of the thing where I can just plug in the updated software and have it automatically fix the firmware? 
There are some that do that. If I'm buying a car that requires me to bring it into the shop for a software upgrade, I'm not happy. I'm not going to do that. For the Tesla, you didn't have to. It was kind of like a GM's OnStar system. Somebody just did automatically from a, from a satellite hit. Well, then I'm fine with that. Yeah. So, no, no, no. You just call them and say, hey, listen, you know, my battery ran down. I can't get into the car. Uh, can you do me, you know, do me a solid and open my car for me? So they just go, and there you go, from a satellite. So this was uh, courtesy of the Toronto International Auto Show, or the Canadian International Auto Show, as they called it. Did you see any of my coverage for Business News Network or CTV News Channel? No, we, I, I didn't know you were doing that. I was. I was down there looking at the new Corvette a Z06. Yeah, listen, you're not a car guy. What kind of car do you drive, a Civic? I drive a Honda Civic. Yeah, okay. It's like so. eight years old. And, and, and I'm live on the air, and I go to get into the Corvette, uh-huh. and they fail to tell me how to get into the car. Yeah. So on live TV, I'm yanking at the door. Yeah, yeah, that can be... This particular Corvette had a, a pressure pad behind the, the latch, so you would have to put pressure on the latch before you could open the door. So it was almost like a two-part process. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, uh, but I finally got the door open, and it was I was one tug away from putting my foot up against the uh, all-aluminum body. <laughs> and just pulling? And, and ju- just just making a, a whole shtick out of it, <laughs> because it was quite obvious I was having trouble. But I did eventually get in. I get out, I get off the air, the guy who designed the car is just off camera, he goes, oh yeah, I should have told you, um, you have to put your finger on the pressure sensor before you can open the car. Is, is there like a fingerprint reader in there or something? No, I think it's just for style, because I felt the pressure pad afterwards, because I had to do the, the same report again for CTV News Channel later, uh, and um, when I put my hand in it, it just felt like a pad, like a, a soft, foamy pad. Oh. It, I didn't, it didn't read my fingerprint. I didn't give it my fingerprint. It was uh, just one of those potentially insanely embarrassing moments on national television. Yeah, there, there are a number of, of uh, exotic cars that have interesting door open mechanisms. There are some that, you know, you can look at it. There's, there's no door latch on, at all on the outside, and it's hidden behind the, uh, like the wing mirror or something. So it's, it's yeah, you can, <laughs> if you're not a car guy like you, I can understand that there would be some issues. Now, there are certain generations, such as yours, that when you were a kid, you were promised jetpacks and flying cars. Yep. Uh, To the generation that followed, they were promised hoverboards and self-lacing running shoes. In, In Back to the Future. That's right. Tinker Hatfield is the man behind Nike's uh, new shoes, and he has confirmed to SoulCollector.com that uh, the Nike mag, which they launched in 2011, uh, which looked like the Marty McFly fictional high tops from Back to the Future 2, um, will be coming back. Remember, they auctioned off about 1,500 pairs on eBay, but they didn't have the electric self-lacing and he has now confirmed that they are coming back for 2015 and they will have the power laces. Okay, I, I'm, 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 I'm interested. <laughs> They're dorky looking shoes. They are, man. These look like a cross between like ski boots and wrestling shoes. Exactly. They're, I wonder how much they'll cost. Give me regular style running shoes that can self-lace and I'll be interested. But the high tops, not so much. Yeah, look at them. (laughs) They also glow blue. 
Well, you got to do something to justify the $400 price tag or whatever they're going to charge for them. Oh, you think they're only $400? I have no idea. I, I think when they uh, auctioned them off on eBay, uh, they got something like $6 million for the 1,500 pairs. All right. But they want to make these – well, I don't – okay. I thought they would want to make these mass market items. Maybe not. I, I love. I just love the guy's name. The designer's name is Tinker Hatfield. <laughs> I know, and he's an inventor. <laughs> That's, his, his real name can't be Tinker. I get could only imagine. I can't remember. Back to the Future. When Marty went into the future, didn't he go to 2015? Yes. That was Back to the Future too. Right. That, that was where we had the hoverboards and right. all that nonsense. So that was 2015. All right. So, so just like when a lot of our generation grew up in 1968, when 2001 came along, and we finally got to 2001, and we weren't on Jupiter, that was a bit of a disappointment. So we're going to get to 2015, and we're not going to have hoverboards. No, we're not going to have hoverboards. We'll have the self-lacing shoes, but we won't have hoverboards. And what surprises me more than anything else about that whole Back to the Future series is how did Marty McFly's mom not recognize her own son as the guy she fell in love with and kissed? Okay, now we end up with some kind of weird alternate universe, many universe alternate reality situation. She named her son after the guy she fell in love, love with. with That's back right. In the okay. 60s. All right. All right. All right. And then married the other guy anyway. <sighs> you see, now it just gets creepy and weird. I, can we move on? I just. That's. I, I, <laughs> ooh. How about we ask Alan anything? Uh, all right. Try me. Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan anything. Call 323-319-NERD. Alan, this is uh, Alex calling from Toronto, one-time producer of the Geeks and Beats podcast. I recently purchased the Stone Roses uh, biography, or documentary, sorry, um, and in the documentary, they mention a world tour. And as far as I know, they have not come to Toronto for quite some time. And I'm wondering if you had any more information on that, if you knew um, when they'd be coming, uh, or any other information you can uh, throw out there. That'd be great. Thanks so much, and keep up the good work, guys. It's a great show. Take care. Bye. Right. Uh, the Stone Roses have not toured North America since, I think, 1995 in their first incarnation. I'm actually really surprised that they haven't been around since their reunion, um, and I don't know why they haven't come this way. I guess there's more money to be made in the U.K. and Europe. But I would certainly like to see them. When they did come to Toronto back in 1995, they were horrible. They, uh, they, they, they were on the verge of breaking up anyway, and I don't think that they were very interested in playing. Uh, but I, I would like to see them. They're one of my all-time favorite bands. I have no idea why they're not here yet, other than the money hasn't been right. Which brings us to why you shouldn't stage dive. Yeah, you know, this is a sad story, and it's, there's, I'm going to write something about this uh, in the coming weeks on, on my Secret History of Rock show. There have been a number of incidences where stage diving has resulted in serious injury and or death. And the latest one had to do with um, Angela Moore from Fishbone. Uh, last year, he was uh, at a show in, in Philadelphia. And as Fishbone shows are wont to be, this one got pretty, pretty rowdy. And Angela did what he often does, and that's stage dive into the crowd. Well, he landed on this 46-year-old woman. She hit her head on the floor. She cracked her skull, fractured her skull. And uh, then had to be taken away by an ambulance. And there was a lot of rehabilitation and a lot of lost work. And she sued and she ended up having her um, 
medical um, expenses reimbursed. Then the judge determined that there was over $300,000 of future earnings uh, or future uh, medical costs that need to be assessed. Then there was a $750,000 damage um, uh, fine assessed against the band. And then Angelo got $250,000 uh, assessed against him personally because he had not been very forthcoming in the whole trial thing. Forthcoming about whether or not he was high on drugs at the time he did it. Yeah, all that stuff. So basically, the bottom line is Fishbone is on the hook for $1.37 million. Or another way to put it is that Fishbone's liability insurance company is on the hook for $1.37 million, which will you know be have to wind its way through the courts for a while because they'll divide it between the band and the venue and whoever else the insurance companies can go after to assign blame. So bottom line here is that it's this this money is is, is going to increase insurance rates for bands and venues when it comes to liabilities and, and personal injury. And, uh, you know, we are dealing with the excited states of America where everybody sues over everything. So uh, all this is going to do is increase these liability insurance payments and drive up the price of, of concert tickets again. I'm not blaming the concert goer in any way, shape or form for what happened to her. But I'm just wondering what a 46-year-old woman's doing at a Fishbone concert. Okay, we can we can talk about that. That is a bit weird. Uh, but hey, good for her, uh, except for the whole fractured skull thing. 1.4 million bucks. Yep. I, I can imagine that then that's going to drive up the insurance rates for Fishbone. Oh, well, for everybody involved. This happened once before. There was a, an Everclear show where two members of the New England, New England Patriots stage dove and uh, landed on somebody, and she was was badly hurt. Wait, wait a minute. Isn't the New England Patriots a football team? Yeah, yeah. It was a couple of guys. Uh, so these are like massive 300-pound guys? Yeah, it was a couple of linemen. And they landed on this woman, and they, they injured her severely. And, and everybody got sued. The, 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 uh, the players, the team, the band, the venue. The floor. Uh, everybody. And, you know, just people stay on the floor. Or, and if you see somebody coming towards you, part like the Red Sea, it's just not worth it. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. That Eric Elper's got something for you this week. I love these isolated vocal things. What people have been doing is taking the vocal tracks stripped of everything else from famous songs and putting them up online. I still don't understand how people are pulling this off. I don't, I don't know how this technically works. I got an idea, but... No, the, somebody has to go in, find the master tapes, and take that isolated track off and post it. That's the only way to do it. And I don't know how they're getting access to this stuff. Uh, although certain things like this have been around for, for a long, long time. I remember being in the studio with some 41 almost 10 years ago, and they had downloaded somewhere the complete 24 track recording individual 24 tracks of queen's killer queen and they loaded this into pro tools and they were able to remix the song and hear each individual part of the song and solo each individual part of the song and you could hear how roy thomas baker the band put it all together it's fascinating stuff and what i find best about these isolated vocals is that many of them come from the pre-autotune era. Right. And you get to hear exactly what kind of artistic decisions the performer made when coming up with that vocal. There's another absolutely stunning one uh, that features David Bowie and Queen with the song uh, Under Pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate the song. I mean, I just, just, I just despise 
despise the song. However, if you hear Freddie Mercury and David Bowie sing, just have the, just them singing, you, you realize exactly what kinds of talents they are. The, again, the decision with breathing, with phrasing, with I'm going to take this note and bend it slightly. It's wow. And your thoughts on Ziggy Stardust? I again, you know, here's and this is Bowie in '72. He had been around in the music business for almost ten years at this point, and uh, you know, he's he's beginning to come into his own as the superstar that we would see throughout the rest of the '70s. Again, no auto tune. This is Bowie in, I guess it would be so '72, probably a sixteen track studio at the time. I don't think it would be much more than that. All right, I'll, I'll play it full, and then I'll strip away the music as it goes on. Ziggy really sang, screwed up eyes and screwed down hairdo, like some cat from Japan. He could lick them by smiling, he could leave them to hang. We came on so loaded, man, well hung in snow white tan. Just the beer like to guide us So we bitched about his fans And should we crush his sweet hands? Sweet. Renaissance butt music? This is fun. I am not much of an art connoisseur. I know what I like. And uh, so I, I ran across this story about a 500-year-old painting called The Garden of Earthly Delights. It was painted by a guy named Hieronymus Bosch. It's actually a triptych, which means the painting is divided into three different panels. And on the third panel, if you look very carefully, there's a guy face down. He's naked, face down under what seems to be a giant loot. And if you look very carefully at his butt, you'll see that there's a musical score tattooed there. And somebody's pointing to it. Uh, and uh, it's it's rather interesting <laughs> that a uh, um, an Oklahoma University student uh, transcribed that music from this guy's butt very carefully, and uh, now we know what 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 they were pointing to and what it sounds like. And apparently, uh, again, I'm not really entirely sure, but apparently, it's it's the basis of a Gregorian chant. Oh wow, really? Yes, I used to have to sing Gregorian chants. Really. Yes, I, I was a St. Michael's Choir School student. Oh, I guess you would have. Not only to sing it, but to also have to learn how to read sheet music in Latin. Ooh. Yeah. So this this is this looks like Latin sheet music as well. This does not look like something that you would pick up today at a regular store. That's why you needed a university student studying uh, medieval music to, to transcribe it, because it's not standard musical notation mm-hmm. that we know today. Interesting. I'm just looking at it here. You want to play a bit of it? Yeah. Now, this would be a lute. Well, we don't know what it is. It's the basis for a chant. But if he's underneath the lute, you would assume that the notation is for an instrument, not for a vocal. I would assume this is in the public domain by now, too. (laughs) We're going to get sued by the people behind Happy Birthday. (laughs) Hieronymus Bosch's uh, estate says, hey, cut it out. 
You're reporting this week on the slow death of the uh, British music magazine, specifically NME. You know, the British, I, uh, the English specifically, I think love music more than any other people on earth. All you have to do is go to London and, and you'll understand what I mean. And I love, I have loved for a long, long time, the quality of writing that come uh, that comes out of the British uh, British media when it comes to music. And there's, you know, magazines like Mojo and Q, uh, Uncut, uh, Record Collector. I mean, I buy them all every month and I, I just love this stuff. It's really intelligent, really in-depth writing. However, just like everything else that's printed on dead trees, uh, the music of uh, the British music magazine industry is, is falling in rough times. Uh, the NME, especially, which used to be, you know, one of many weekly music magazines, um, has fallen on very hard times. I think that the only weekly music magazine left and uh, their weekly circulation is down to under 20,000, which is which is horrible. Um, considering how much they used to sell back in the day, even their their um, electronic edition is selling less than 20,000. It's not the only one, as you point out, though. Mojo's down 11% to 74,000 copies. Uncut, classic rock, uh, Kerrang! Down 8.9% to 35,000. And Metal Hammer, down 12.5% to 26,000 circulated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I honestly buy most of my magazines digitally these days. I buy record collectors still in the physical form, although I'm going to have to change. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just really, really tough. I mean, by the time, especially here in North America, you know, I, I, I used to be a big fan of Q Magazine. But the problem was, uh, okay, what is it now? It is February. Well, I would just be getting the December issue on the stands of Chapters or Indigo right now. It was always so very, very far behind. I never understood why. Um, now that I have the digital version, I can get it as soon as it's released. So you can see why these the, the, the physical circulation is going down. But you know, more and more people are turning away from the long form music journalism and into the short form stuff, which comes in the form of you know tweets and websites and Wikipedia and whatever else. All of this is your report that this is the year that digital sales will blow past physical sales of music. Uh, what is this? Two thousand and three? I thought we'd long ago sold more MP3s than CDs. No, no, no. It's it's taken up up until now. The last um, okay, we're going to get some some numbers out on Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon or so. So about 12 hours after the podcast airs. Yeah, that's right. There have been four times in the history of digital versus physical where digital has outsold physical. Three of those weeks have come so far this year. And looking at sales trends for the recorded music market, you can see that the CD sales, the physical CD sales or physical music sales, whether that be CDs, vinyl, cassettes, whatever, is dropping faster and faster and faster and even though growth in digital sales has leveled out and in some cases dropped it's still greater than what we're seeing with uh with the physical stuff so this this seems to be 2014 seems to be this 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 turning point Meantime, I don't know about you, but I signed up for Netflix just so that I could catch up on the new season of House of Cards I was afraid that I was going to have um, a choked stream, and I, I didn't. Everything's been fine. I have never used Netflix before in my life, and I'm pretty impressed with the uh, user interface and, and the ease of use and all of that stuff. Um, the video quality degraded a couple of times over the course of the seven episodes we watched over two and a half days. Okay, I'm five in. Just 
gorging ourselves on this. And Marketplace.org went into the House of Cards Netflix command center, uh, and uh, or they call it the War Room, actually, when they launched the big show for season two. And uh, they had some fascinating statistics uh, about how the show is, uh, is, is put to air, so to speak, and, and how it's monitored. Because, of course, they know exactly what you're watching and for how long you're watching. And 40 million people around the world, they found one guy who was a super binger of season one. Oh, so we watched all 13 hours in... 13 hours and three minutes. Wow. He took only a three-minute break between all 13 episodes. Well, and that's how long it would take to exit out of the, the out of the stream, go back to your chapter menu, and pick another one 13 times. Or go to the washroom, yeah. wash your hands, hopefully, come back, sit down, and hit play again. The neat thing about do you have Netflix? You do, right? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So you know that you get to the end of the episode, it says, oh, would you like to watch the next one? So he doesn't even really need to do much by way of manipulating around the menu system. So that's not even really tying up time either. Well, it depends. I mean, you, you want to sit through the entire set of credits? No, I hit I, I hit stop, hit cancel, go right back to uh, uh, the menu, and boom, I'm, I'm, I'm going in less than, than 30 seconds. Are you enjoying it so far? Yeah, I am. I could have used a... Uh, a primer for episode season one. I was surprised that they didn't say so far on House of Cards or I, exactly. Know. Yeah, I'm really surprised at that. Um, and I had to remember, okay, that guy, okay, he's now the vice president, and he had the the other vice president was shamed into killing himself, and the president is a knob, and his wife is having an issue with the former coworker. There's a lawsuit there, and then Zoe is doing this, and like, oh yeah, okay. Oh, oh, have you gotten to the Zoe angle yet? <laughs> Which one? Oh, you know what? I'm I spoiler. No, 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 don't, don't, yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna go any further. No, no, don't, because uh There's an interesting twist with Zoe and I shall leave it at that. Okay, just leave it at that, please. Thank you. One of the things that I did do as a result of this, uh, I guess it's the second episode, the, the guy from the from the blog, from the political blog, goes to the hacker or no, uh, has one of his reporters come in and, and tell him about the the deep net. Yes. And Tor. And tour. So, so uh, guess what I was doing when, <laughs> when, as soon as that scene was over, you were downloading tour. Uh, I got tour, and I'm going through all the, uh, you know, the tour, the the onion wikis, and, and like, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna find yourself with a knock at the door soon, dude. Ah, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking at some of these links. I'm going. I'm not touching that. Time now for a geeks and beats update. London, Bangkok, New York. Cincinnati, from the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. This is a GNB News Update. We've got two co producers this week. How nice. So we've got uh, two big shot co-producers this week who will be able to put onto their resume that they have co-produced the world's most popular podcast. Uh, we've got uh, Mike Primo, who uh, called in and uh, made sure, saying, no need to thank me on the podcast, just want to show support for your awesome show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you anyway, Mike. Very much so. Uh, and then uh, we've got Andy Allen, uh, whose email address begins with Batman for Prime Minister. <laughs> These are the people we have listening and supporting us. 
Thank you. He says he's been a listener of the first podcast and has enjoyed uh, seeing and hearing the format evolve. He says he enjoyed listening to you from your CFNY days and is digging your dulcet tones once again through his home speakers. Oh, how nice. Uh, it is part of his Wednesday regimen. He's from Stratford, Ontario. He works at the Stratford Festival, uh, parentheses, huge surprise, in the audio department. Hmm. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so maybe we could uh, hit him up from time to time with some technical support. Uh, wouldn't mind it. Yeah. Mind it, yeah. He says that the co-producer credit will look snazzy on his CV and might make potential investors in a documentary he's in the middle of filming a reality. Oh, I wonder what the documentary's about. The upcoming 40th anniversary of the cricket rivalry between the Stratford and Shaw festivals. <laughs> Not what I was expecting. Okay. <laughs> So thank you very much for that. If you go to geeksandbeats.com slash donate, uh, not only do you funnel 25 bucks our way in exchange for the credit on the big show, but you can put it on your resume. We'll back you up on that. And you get absolutely free of charge the album art in high resolution, suitable for printing off and framing and hanging in your parents' basement. Mm-hmm. Where you're probably living. <laughs> Hey, that's not very nice. I know, I know. It's not very nice. I understand. I'm sorry. I take that back. I have to go and talk to the people at uh, SiriusXM again. Yes. There's no reason why they shouldn't take this show. Hey, I'm already on SiriusXM. Are you? Yes, the business news at noon. Uh, on uh, the Business News Network is simulcast on uh, Canada Talks 167. That's that's the, the network I'm saying that w- that's the channel we should be on. Arlene Bynan's on it. I'm on her show every other week, every other Friday. Okay, I'm going to make a call. I'm one step ahead of you. Or maybe you should make a call, too. You make a call, too. I'll make a call, and then we'll, we'll gang up on it. Exactly. I, I, I got the guy's name. It managed to, to move across my Facebook feed the other day um, that a friend of my wife's was all at gaga that as she sat down uh, for dinner at the keg restaurant the other night, you were at the table beside her and she spent the entire meal wondering whether she should bother to introduce herself and tell her how much she loves you in oakville i i don't know were you, were you not at a keg recently yeah well she was at the table beside you now now are, are you are you happy that she did not interrupt your meal or would you have been okay with that I, i'm okay with it I, I i really i'm fine you know just you know don't embarrass yourself but yeah i'm fine <laughs> don't embarrass yourself <laughs> <laughs> and don't look you in the eye? Well, remember that also, remember that the woman sitting next to me is probably my wife. Meantime, uh, on the Geeks and Beats Twitter feed, uh, we got uh, a few uh, listener responses to some recent episodes. Uh, for example, this one's uh, from the, the handle Garage Rock, but the guy's name is listed as Sandy Lubricant. <laughs> oh. oh. Writes in saying, don't ask me why, but I always listen to GNB on Mondays at the gym to start my week off, right? And I sync my iPod on Sundays. That's fine. Okay, so he's a bit behind, but that's okay. That's all right. Uh, we also have to thank uh, Thomas Foss for thanking us uh, for giving him the flashback to his childhood when we played the mini pops. Oh, that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, really? You're, you're still that upset with Kate Taylor? Yeah, I, I really am. There's no need. There was no need for, for mini pops. That's almost child abuse. And then one of the uh, best Canadian bands ever tweeted February 13th, follow one of the best podcasts going right now, Geeks and Beats, hashtag Sting. <laughs> okay, thank you, yeah, Mr. Sumner. We're, we're really sorry. We, we would like to have you on the show, but it just hasn't worked out. And uh, Katie Push, whose uh, Twitter handle is Katie Push, uh, and who has, quite frankly, the possibly the sexiest profile photo I've seen ever, uh, says she's heading to her lecture listening to her new favorite podcast. Katie, I'm looking this up. I had a feeling you would. K-A-T-I-E-P-U-S-H. No, this doesn't look good because I've got the Reverend Ball hearing on. If I click that, what do I get? Oh, yeah. Hi, Katie. 
See? She's a model, aspiring actress, currently studying for her future in NYC-London. Okay. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for the love. You look good. Uh, on the topic of love, Sound in My Memory tweeted uh, about uh, music uh, for Valentine's Day and the anti-Valentine's Day episode we had, mm-hmm. uh, saying uh, that uh, um, love stinks. How about the angry Adam Sandler version from The Wedding Singer? Works for me. All right. There you go. Did you have a good Valentine's Day, by the way? We went out for dinner. It was a business dinner. It was very nice. And uh, they picked up the check. So, yes, it was very good. <laughs> you had a business dinner on Valentine's Day? It just so happened it worked out that way. Was this at the keg by any chance? No, it wasn't. It was, it was, it was someplace else. No. Hey, if you love the show as much as we do, and I know that I do, uh, you can go to geeksandbeats.com slash swag. And if you don't want to open up your wallet and be a co-producer on the show because you don't live in your mother's basement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can actually get a piece of the big show, like the G&B Special Edition members only exclusive mug of drinking, uh, which is uh, currently available for 50 bucks, or the G&B Miracle Travel mug of traveling for 30 bucks. And we get more of that than uh, – well, actually, we get less of that than we do if you just outright donate. But at least you get something in return. Yeah. You know, don't, don't just throw your money down the toilet. Get something in return. Are you saying that donating to the show is throwing your money down the toilet? No, but I think that there should be an ROI here. I mean, you're the business guy. That's a good point. Return on investment, indeed. On that topic, have you yet bought one of our mugs? No. No. No, you no, haven't. I'm drinking my coffee from mine as we speak. I will I will get one this week. Yeah, okay. I will get one this week. I know somebody who can get it for you cheap. I'll hook you up. All right, fine. Thanks. Have you put any thought into uh, how we're going to give away this Sony uh, HDR MV1? Oh, yeah. I was supposed to do that, wasn't I? Yeah. Uh, Listen, I think we should get people to use whatever cameras they have, probably their smartphone cameras, and make an appeal. What I'm thinking is we get them to take their smartphone cameras and either have them do a video um, testimonial or just a picture of them somehow tied into Geeks and Beats, put it on Facebook, tag the Geeks and Beats podcast Facebook fan page. That way we know you've done it. And that way you've also told all of your friends on Facebook about the big show. Deal. In the hopes that we can actually drive traffic to us and to listening to the big show. Good idea. What you said. <laughs> okay. So we're going to give away this fantastic camcorder from the folks over at uh, Sony. And they call it a music video camcorder. But it's it's really a camcorder for anyone and everything. The neat thing about the HDR MV1, and that just rolls off the tongue too, doesn't it? <laughs> Sony doesn't have – since the Walkman, they really haven't come up with – you know. But anyway, I'm fine. It has a Carl Zeiss lens, but what makes it particularly keen for making videos, music videos, as they say, is it's got stereo microphones built into the front of the thing. It looks like R2-D2's own camcorder. Hmm. It is kind of cool. Yeah, it's like 300 bucks too, and they just gave us one. We'll take it. It uh, has 120-degree XY microphones, as they're calling it, high-quality 30p HD video with low grain and low light. Uh, and the uh, Carl Zeiss Tessar lens does 120-degree wide angle as well. Ooh. Yeah. See, this works. This works, uh, especially if you want to you know, shoot uh, live music. So if you want to shoot live music or you're just shooting your kids – um, this would be a great way to go about that. It's uh, got four and a half stars on the Sony store already. Hmm. Out of five. Out of five. And uh, if you would like it, we'd like to give it to you. So, again, what you need to do is go to uh, your Facebook account, post a photo or a video, 
And, and the one that tickles us the most is really what's going to win. And, and what we'll do is, is we'll also open it up to everyone to vote on the top three that tickle us. Okay. So can we uh, use another? Can we use another verb, please? Tickle. Yeah. Don't. Such as. Amuse. Yes. Okay. We'll we'll stick with amuse. Uh, so whatever amuses us the most, and the people who vote down the road, that will be the one that wins. Okay. I'm in for that. Have you seen my new favorite Twitter account? WKRP in Toronto. Is that the one you were talking about? <laughs> yeah. Have I talked about this yet? No, you haven't. Oh. So the, the, the premise here is basically a ripoff of Seinfeld Today. Have you seen that Twitter feed? Uh, yes. Yeah. The premise being is that if Jerry Seinfeld's TV show was still on the air, this would be the Twitter feed that would be the plot synopsis of that particular uh, week's episode. So they've done the same thing with WKRP and TO, except instead of it being in Cincinnati, they moved it to Toronto uh, because, of course, it is the center of the universe. Right, of course. Uh, my f- new favorite tweet uh, from them is, Johnny hears the voice of God telling him to become a golf pro. But Andy explains, it's just Siri. <laughs> yeah. Bailey can't decide on the right LOL cat. Yeah. Yeah, that works. You would have to have watched the original series, not the DVD series with the bad music in it, but the original series for this to make sense. Right. And as I understand it, the reason why is the they didn't have the rights, the reproduction rights to uh, air the original music more than once. Couldn't get them. Couldn't get them. So if you bought the DVD, they had to, su- to dub it over. Yeah, they did. All that music. And that's what made WKRP such an interesting TV show back in the day, is that they were one of the very first to use real music from real bands as part of the storylines and in the background of the show. Oh, gripping music, huh? Yeah, that's, that's good, all right. What's the name of that orchestra? Pink Floyd. Who was that Pink Floyd? <laughs> Do I hear dogs barking on that thing? I do. If you've ever worked in a radio station, it's amazing how accurate the characters are. They're not caricatures. They're characters. No, no. That's, that's, that's very, very true. And it's why it's become such a cult favorite. Who is your Johnny Fever? It, it, of all the, the radio personalities you've met. <sighs> is there a guy that I know that was that crazy? Yeah, probably. For me... Um, I don't have a Johnny Fever character that I used to work with. I have a, a Venus flytrap character I used to work with. I, I have a Venus, yes. My Venus flytrap is a guy by the name of Lee Marshall. Okay. Do you know of whom I speak? Yes, I do. Lee Marshall used to be the voice of CTV. You're about to meet the voice of CTV, Lee Marshall. Canada's watching Jamie and David on CTV. On CTV. CTV. On CTV. On CTV. <laughs> I used to listen to him when I was growing up in Winnipeg. He was on CFRW. He had a show on uh, CKFM in Toronto called The Quiet Storm. Mm. And uh, my shift would follow his shift. So I would come in uh, about a half an hour early, start pulling my music and all the commercials and stuff like that. And uh, he had he had that whole Venus flytrap scene going on, except he was white. Mm-hmm. He, he had the, the lights down low, the candles. He, he was missing a gong. He didn't have the gong that Venus flytrap had. But inevitably, I would come in and he would be sitting at the console 
with the console chair really low down so that he almost had an eye level view with the faders. Mm-hmm. And he would have a gorgeous blonde sitting in his lap while he did <laughs> the show. David Marsden used to do that sort of stuff. I mean, you walked into the studio and you thought you had gone blind because it was so dark. Second, there was Headley Jones, who used to do the overnights on uh, Saturdays, Friday, Saturday, Fridays and Saturdays. And uh, there was always some interesting people in the studio with him. Crazy thing about Lee was that the guy had to be like six foot twelve, and uh, Rastafarian at that. Massive white guy with a, a little pillbox cap with the Rastafarian Jamaican kind of coloring to it. Really? Oh yeah, absolutely. He, he ended up uh, getting out of the day-to-day business, moving up north of Timmins, Ontario, and he still does VO work from his basement using the internet. Yeah, I mean, that's what I do. You're not much of a mountain man, though. No, I, I'm not. I'm a little bit uh, more clean-shaven. I don't, know. I, don't, I don't know if that's the end of the show. I, I, I think it's just stop it right there, and we just won't go any further. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.